Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis 18. He says, since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, this is God's promise to him, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed, for I have chosen... I have known him, if you have a New King James, it's the word yada, verse 19, Genesis 18, in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. And one thing to keep in mind is that even this judgment will be something that's ingrained in the memory of Abraham forever. And Abraham will tell his children that God is holy. And this, this place, this region which was more than one city that was destroyed, will be a testimony that Abraham will tell the story of what God did, God's faithfulness, God's promise, the son of promise, laughter and joy, his visitations, his altars. But he will also say there's another side, you guys. When people don't repent, Lot went down there and it got ugly. And I'll tell you what, it ended badly. This is part of what we do when we give testimony To the God of the Bible, we must tell the whole story of who he is. He says, I've chosen him. I've known him. I want him to tell his children, to command his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord. Fathers, mothers, this is our command. It says, fathers, bring up your children in the fear and what? Admonition of the Lord. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to teach our children about God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. Do you believe that? As for me and my house, anybody got the bracelet on tonight, guys? We will serve the Lord. That's a decision that we make to teach our family about God. How so? By doing righteousness, middle of 19, and justice. God is a God of righteousness and justice in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. As the Lord shared with the angels, it is likely that Abraham heard everything, and that was the intention of the Lord, because Abraham's going to become an intercessor, and Abraham's going to begin to plead with the Lord, and this is, I believe, what the Lord wants to occur. The Lord said, verse 20, the outcry, this describes the cry of the oppressed and the brutalized. Look at verse 20. Of or against, if you have the NIV, Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great. And notice what the Lord says. And their sin is what? It's exceedingly grave. Now you see the word outcry there? So I want to tell you a little bit about this Hebrew word and share with you some of the insights. This is from R. Kent Hughes. He says, The Hebrew word for outcry is used in Scripture to describe the cries of the oppressed and brutalized. It is used in Scripture to uh, it is used for the cry of the oppressed widow or orphan in Exodus 22, the cry of the oppressed servant in Deuteronomy 24, the cries of the Israelites in Egypt Exodus 2. Jeremiah uses it to refer to a scream of terror by an individual or city when it is attacked Jeremiah 18. Such an outcry is the miserable wail of the oppressed and brutalized. Nahum Sarna says of the term as it's used here. They connote the anguished cry of the oppressed, the agonized plea of the victim for help, 
in the face of some great injustice. In the Bible, these terms are suffused with poignancy and pathos, with moral outrage, soul-stirring passion. The sin of Sodom, then, is heinous moral and social corruption, an arrogant disregard of basic human rights, a cynical insensitivity to the sufferings of others. Close quote. This is the word outcry. Now you might ask the question, who's crying out? Are the angels crying out to God of that, the sin in that place? Are there people who have moved through this city and perhaps left that have been brutalized? Remember when the angels appear in the city and Lot bows before them and asks them to come in, they say they're going to stay in the open square and Lot says don't do that. He knows how bad this city is. And he wants to bring the, the angels on, into, the, into the covering of his home. This place is, is, uh, has probably left multitudes of victims. Maybe people who are passing through. I mean, you would imagine if the men of the city crowded around the house where the angels appeared and Lot tried to bring them under the covering of his house, I wonder how many times that happened. Amen? I wonder how many times somebody passed through that city and was brutalized by the men of Sodom. Think about it. Maybe that's the outcry that was going up to heaven time and time again. Maybe passers-by were being abused by these people. And the outcry went up to God and it went up to God. And it's a staggering thing. It can be both hopeful and alarming. God knows when people cry out. God knows when there's injustice in the world. He is not blind to it. He knows. And this is a truth that the Bible indicates over and over again. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. I wonder how many cries come to His throne per hour. I wonder how many cries come to His throne per day. You know, you don't see it. I don't see it. We're not able to be in all these places. We're not able to see behind closed doors. We're not able to see the thoughts and intents of the heart, but He does. When you're ignorant to injustice, He is not. Moy is a young man who's had a band for a while and he used to come to our church uh, back in the day and he said he went to this region he went on a missions trip and he was interacting with these two young boys and he said both of them were blind and here's how they became blind their mother as a punishment to the two boys poured bleach into their eyes and caused them to go blind both of the young men were blind in this poor, uh, terrible region where things were happening. And Moy, you know, he explained, he said, he got such a burden for the area, he began to cry out to God, and Lord, something has to be done. Something has to be done. And the Lord spoke to his heart, and the Lord said something like this to his heart. He said, do you know how long I've been watching this go on? It's good that you have a burden for this place right now, and I'm glad you do, but you do, not, do you know how long I've been watching this go on? It's nice that you have a burden now. It's nice that you're up to speed, if you will. It was kind of like, he took it almost like as a rebuke. Like, yeah, you have a burden now. That's good. 
But I've been watching this stuff happen. I know what happened to these boys. You see, the outcry uh, regarding Sodom had come up to God. And if you look, it says Sodom and Gomorrah 20. And it says their sin. By the way, just a reminder, there is such a thing as sin. God calls things sin. We may, in our modern preacher preaching, want to remove that from our vernacular, but that is a biblical term. It is what God calls it. He says it's sin. Now, we can, if we want to play games with the terms, then you know it is what it is, but that's what, what God calls it. In James 5, in an interesting parallel passage, it says this, Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields, which, which has been withheld by you, cries out against you. And the outcry of those, James 5, 4, who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabaoth, or the Lord of hosts. That's James 5, verse 4. You have lived luxuriously on the earth, You've led a life of want and pleasure. You've fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. And God says, but it's coming back to you. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man who does not resist you, but his cries are coming up to the Lord of the harvest, or the Lord, in this case, of the armies. Uh, the, the Lord of the hosts, he hears their cries. When injustice happens, he hears. He knows. He knows what you're going through tonight. You know, maybe nobody really knows what you're going through, but he does. He hears the cries of the heart. In fact, the Bible says he's close to the brokenhearted. If you turn to Psalm 34, find the Psalms. I think you'll find this encouraging. Psalm 34, which has a messianic message to it as well. Psalm 34, that is a message about the coming Messiah. But for our purposes, Psalm 34, 15. Psalm 34, 15 says the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous Psalm 34 15 and his ears are open to their cry the face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth Psalm 34 17 the righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Would you turn back to the book of Genesis? In Ezekiel 16, 49 and 50, we get a little bit more about the sin of Sodom. It says, Behold, Ezekiel 16, 49, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease. They lived in wanton pleasures. The same idea as 1 Timothy 5, 6. She who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. The same uh, word is used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. In Ezekiel 16.49, she lived in careless ease. She did not help the poor and the needy. This is regarding Sodom. Thus they were haughty, Ezekiel 16.49 and 50, and committed abominations before me. Therefore I remove them when I saw it. That's what the Lord says, Ezekiel 16, 49 and 50. The Lord hears their cries. You might want to write in your notes, Romans 2, 4 through 6, where Paul says that people who take um, the grace of God lightly, his kindness that leads us to repentance and continue 
to practice habitual sin without repentance are building up wrath for the day of wrath, Romans 2, 5, and 6, so that every evil action that occurs, and I read a quote when I did this message, you might want to go back and listen to Romans 2, that message, they stack one sin upon another that God will give equitable judgment to. That is, I don't think all judgment is going to be equal. I think some people are going to pay more judgment from God based upon what they knew and how many times they sinned against the Lord. That is scary. James Montgomery Boyce comments. He says, listen, can you hear those cries in your imagination, the cries that go up to God? I think I hear the cry of a child, wretched, hurt, and terrified, being beaten by a drunken father. Do you hear their cries? Listen. There is another cry. It is the cry of an old man being assaulted by a gang of tough street youth. Street youth. There's a cry of a teenage girl being raped in an abandoned car. The cry of a wife abandoned by her husband. I hear the cry of sinful pleasures. The raucous cries in thousands of bars that scar the faces of our cities. The cries of prostitutes and those who patronize them. The soft cries of drug addicts. The arrogant cries of those who have been able to defeat their enemies and ruin their competitors. But wait, these cries are only a fraction of those millions of cries that are rising every minute of every day from every street in every city in every village of our land. Cries that are all heard by God and felt by God. Close quote. Isn't it a wonder to you it is to me, when you think about all that God knows is going on and He is not yet judged. I mean, the, the, uh, the sin, the, the injustice of the Amorite had not yet been fulfilled. We're told earlier in the book of Genesis, but the, the stench of the sin of Sodom, God says, no mas, no more. It's over. Judgment day had come for that region. And that region stands as a testimony that God does not play games with sin. 21. I will go down, God says in an anthropomorphic uh, phrase, because God already knew what was happening. And uh, by the way, God didn't have to check on the city. In fact, there, when the dialogue's over, the two angels move on to the gate of Sodom. And the Lord departs from Abraham. And there's no record that the Lord goes down there. But it does say that he would go down and see. But he already knew what was going on. And the Lord's the one that rains fire and brimstone on the place. But God already knows what's going on. This is anthropomorphic terminology. You say, what does that mean? It's depicting God in human terms that we can understand. And it's probably more for the benefit of the audience and for the benefit of Abraham, he says, I will go down, just like God said he would go down and see the tower that man was building. It's almost humorous. Like, you know, look at this. This is going to reach all the way up to the stars. Maybe you'll have to move over, God. And one writer said, the tower is so small, God has to leave heaven just to see if he can see it. A little humor there. But anyway, the Lord says, I'm going to check it out. And, and I think part of this is that Abraham needs to know that God's not going to just judge without having all the facts. He's going to meticulously investigate. He's going to know. And the outcry has come to God. 
I will go down and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. If not, God says, I will know. I think this is more for our sake and Abraham's sake, as I mentioned, than for uh, God. God already knows he is omniscient. And so the, uh, the text is before us. And Abraham, you know, there's nothing that says that God directly told Abraham, but I think the whole intention was for Abraham to hear and become an intercessor. So the Lord's patience has, patience has run out. You say, well, what does it take for the Lord's patience to run out? Go to one other passage, and I'll sh- I want to show you something that's both serious and hopeful. It's in Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah 18. So pass up the Psalms and Proverbs. Jeremiah 18. Here's a principle. It's the, the message that's being talked about is the potter. Um, Jeremiah 18, look at verse 6. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, verse 6, Can I not, Jeremiah 18, 6, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Behold, like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment, Jeremiah 18, 7, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. Jeremiah 18.9 Or at another moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build up or to plant it. If it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good with which I promise to bless it. So now then speak to the men of Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning calamity against you and devising a plan against you. And then look at the Lord's heart. O turn back each of you from his evil way and reform your ways and your deeds. What's the Lord's heart? Genesis 18, even when he's on the verge of judgment, turn back. The book of Ezekiel makes it clear that he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked none not one iota he does not want to judge that's why the lord is patient towards us he's not slack in his promises some call uh, uh count slackness but he's patient toward us not wishing that any what perish but all come to repentance that's the heart of god and that should be our heart but there's a time when the clock hits the alarm when time runs out and Sodom is right there and Gomorrah as well. And so the men, Genesis 18, 22, if you turn back there, the men who we do find out are angels, the men turned, Genesis 18, 22, away from there and went towards Sodom while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. Genesis 18, 22. This is a picture of an intercessor. Uh, who will stand before the Lord in intercession? Logan was talking about prayer. What role does prayer have in the evangelism process and so forth? All of that can be a, somewhat of a mystery. But this is a verse. I remember years ago I heard Raul Reese preach on this verse. And it captured my soul. And I'd like to share the whole thing with you. But here's the main verse. Write it down. Ezekiel 22, verse 30. He says, I search for a man among them 
who should build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. Ezekiel 22.30 But I found no one. And Raul Reese was preaching that day on becoming a leader. The message, I'll never forget it, was called Looking for Leaders. And the Lord used that scripture to speak to my heart. And, he, and it was something like this, Michael, will you stand in the gap for this generation? Will you stand before me and plead for this generation? Will you be the man that will take your stand, become an intercessor, become a preacher? And you know, you get moments like that, folks. It's like, whoa. Who, me? You want me to stand in the gap? You know? But this is the essence of what Abraham does. He was still standing before the Lord. The angels had moved off, heading towards the judgment to execute the judgment. And Abraham is standing, if you will, between life and death, standing before the Lord in the role of the intercessor. And Abraham came near to the Lord and he said, 23, Wilt thou indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Question number one, request number one. Suppose, he says, there are 50 righteous within the city. Will thou indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from thee to do such a thing. You know, when you pray to the Lord, it's good to pray back the promises of God. We know that God is righteous. Abraham's faith may not be as developed as some of ours. He didn't have the whole Bible that we have. He didn't have maybe all his theology together, but he knew enough about God to know that God is just and fair. And the essence of his, of his prayer is, what if there's 50 people in there? Who's he thinking of right now? Lot. He knows Lot is down there. And by the way, Abraham has just done an expedition with the 318 trained men in his household when the four kings came and they took Lot and the people and took them up to the north and Abraham was able to win the victory in Melchizedek the prince of Salem, right? remember the picture of Jesus Christ and the bread and the king of Sodom's there and he experiences this fellowship and Abraham testifies to God doing this along with Melchizedek, the king of Sodom standing right there. And he makes an offer to Abraham and Abraham says, no, you're not going to make me wealthy. I'm not going to take anything that you offered me. But the king of Sodom stood there. He knew that the Lord was the one behind their deliverance as a people. Had they learned anything from that? Abraham knew some of those people, and he especially knew Lot. How much more do your prayers become urgent when you know people who are in trouble and you know them personally? Maybe you know somebody that's on their deathbed, somebody who's running from God, inviting the discipline of God into their life. You're like, man, Lord, wake them up. Do what you have to do. What if there's 50? It's a good round number. You think in a city like this, oh, there's got to be 50, right? 50. Think there's 50 righteous people in Corona? You think there's 50 righteous in here right now? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> anyway, what if there's 50, Lord? You won't sweep away the righteous with the wicked, will you? You won't treat them alike. Far be it from thee. Shall not the judge of the earth, end of 25, deal justly? Deuteronomy 32 4 says, The rock. His work is perfect. All His ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is He. Deuteronomy 32.4 You can 
take something to the bank. Righteous and true are His judgments. In fact, it is a wonder that He is as patient as He is, as I just mentioned. With all, think of all that's going on in the U.S. right now. It's a wonder that God is as patient as He is. We just heard about this terrible tragedy in uh, uh, Manchester, Manchester, right? And here we are, you know, we're sitting at microphones this afternoon and we're like, Lord, you know, I don't know what you're doing and, and I don't understand uh, why the righteous seems to pay the price for, you know, the wicked and, and stuff like that. This scene seems to bring out some of that, doesn't it? Yeah. Does that resonate with you? In terms yeah, of- I think using intercessor is the perfect term for Abram in this case. I recently taught at a prayer conference and the thing that I tried to wrap my mind around and I tried to help our audience do this as well is prayer is a mystery and I believe prayer is the divine connection between our persistence and God's providence Mm. and there's a great mystery between those two God's promises are sure and they're not going to change but at the same time we are asked to persist in prayer Mm -hmm. so when you take Manchester as an example God knew this was going to happen he allowed it to happen you know, should, should we pray about it since he already knows the request before we ask? Absolutely, because we're commanded throughout scripture that it's through our persistence and through our faith that God moves in powerful ways. I think that's well said because I think that there is a tension there always. Now in the aftermath though of something happening, and this, this is gonna occur here where you know Sodom and Gomorrah are gonna be destroyed. People often are asking the question, Brian, what do you do after something happens? Is prayer still a part, a vital part of what you do afterwards? And how would someone pray? And uh, what might they expect that God would do at this point after it's happened? Yeah, you know, it says in 1 John chapter 3 that in Christ we are called the children of God. And we have the privilege of calling God our Heavenly Father. And so when we approach God in prayer, it's just like any small child approaching their mom or dad asking for milk or, you know, asking for a toy. Um, Any loving parent wants to give good things to their children. And the Bible says we do not have because we do not ask. And so we should always err on the side of asking and requesting and believing. If it doesn't end up coming to fruition the way that we want it to, that's okay. We've done our part of, of asking and persisting, and it's up to God after that on how to work it out best. And we do know, Brian, that this area was judged, sadly, and there weren't enough righteous people even, you know, Abraham went, Abraham went pretty low, and, you know, Lot and a few family members apparently were the only righteous people there. And that's the kind of world we live in, but, you know, God is, is so gracious even to entertain uh, Abraham's requests. And Abraham often, he says, okay, I'm just dust and ashes, but hear me out, Lord. And I think we need to come to God in that kind of reverential awe, and yet at the same time know that he'll hear our hearts and he'll definitely consider our requests. And I think that's a great example. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.